From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 39. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like. Lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. And MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am very well. How are you? I'm doing fine. It is. Uh, it, it's another Monday. We are starting starting the week together. A week from now, as we record this, uh, the Apple WWDC keynote will be happening right now. Yeah, this is the big week. Like you know, you think like, WWDC week is like the busy week of all the you know all the crazy stuff happening. This week is the busy one. Trying to get ready for WWDC mm. and the week of like not really the same work. Um, that's the one that I struggle with, you know, because yeah, there is work stuff happening, but there's also a lot of not work stuff happening, and just trying to get everything together, like pre-recording shows this week and stuff like that, as well as getting ready for for me to travel across the globe. Uh, it's a daunting thing, but it's something that I look forward to every year because this week is also the run-up to next week, which makes you very excited. Yeah, next week's going to be really exciting. I, I'm I'm fortunate. Oftentimes, my kids' last week of school is WWDC week, and I have these commitments to various kid things that are in the middle of WWDC, which is really inconvenient because I have work I have to do. And this year, I don't know what happened. I got really lucky. Their last week of school is the week after WWDC. And most of the events that they're doing in terms of, you know, end of school performances or trips or things like that are happening this week and a little bit last week. So next week ended up being almost clear. I think I have one thing on Friday night that I have to do for my son and otherwise all their stuff is other times so that's good i can i can focus on wwdc this will be my first wwdc week without um without an office in the in the city Mm -hmm. that will also be interesting because that's a totally different i I think good because i'm not going to have people in my office didn't really care that there was a developer conference going on they just wanted to invite me to meetings and i wasn't marked as out of office because i wasn't traveling or anything and so I ended up being pulled into meetings and about things that had nothing to do with it. And this this year I can just be focused on WWDC um, and everything surrounding it. So I'm looking forward to that too. That is actually going to be a topic today. I want to to kind of talk to you a little bit about um, how how you you're planning for this one. All right, but we should do some follow up first, and then we'll get to it. How about that? We should I would love that format. It's important for a podcast to have a format. I think. Our format is that we do follow-up at the beginning. It's new. It's crazy. I know. Not Most podcasts do their follow-up uh, in the middle, <laughs> backward. <laughs> but we do it at the beginning. Um, let's see. We got, we've got got a, a whole smattering of follow-up here. <laughs> is that how you have a smattering? Is it a whole smattering? I don't know. Um, we, we talked about watching, um, looking at your Apple Watch in a movie theater. That came up last last week. And I got a good piece of feedback from Justin on Twitter who said, you can go into the settings app on your Apple Watch and turn off the activate on wrist rays, and that pretty much will do it, and you don't need to power down. And that's absolutely true. You have to go to the app view, find the settings app, tap on the settings app, scroll down to general, uh, scroll to activate on wrist rays, and then turn it off. Powering it down, you know, you press the one button and hold it down and then slide it to power it down or put it in the, you know, the the power low power mode and then you press the, and hold and it reboots so it depends on what you want to do um that was a little more fiddly but it, it does keep your your um 
watch working during the movie and then you go turn it back on when you're done. So that that's a, a perfectly reasonable approach. I don't think it's bright enough for it to make a difference. And, you know, I, I, I'm warming to my idea that I suggested last time of, you know, creating a face with almost nothing on it, like a modular face with just the time and have it be red and just switch to that one when you're in the movie theater. Nobody's going to notice, you know, some red text popping up every now and then. Um, then we also, uh, we had a bunch of suggestions about joint list managers. Do you remember yeah. we talked about grocery apps last yeah. week? I knew this would happen. <laughs> we got we said all those things about Google and we got more feedback about grocery lists. <laughs> yeah, very peculiar. <laughs> so the first comes from Lee and Lee suggests Wonderlist as an option. Um, Wonderlist is very good. It has a watch app. Um, I like Wonderlist. I, I, yeah. I've used it for some joint task stuff and I've been very happy with it. Um, so I would suggest that. This is the thing. I that, that That's the kind of thought that I didn't put into it last week because I was thinking about like grocery list apps, but well, where Wonderlist is like a task management app, but it can be used for that for sure. Sure. There are, there are, I mean, you could, there are lots of ways to share lists. I, one of the nice things about the grocery, the, the purpose-built grocery apps is that you can do things like, even, like Grocery IQ will let me scan in a barcode and, and, and add that product. And that can be useful when one of the people shopping doesn't know the exact brand name of the one, what's the one we buy? What's the size we buy? And that can be really useful and it's got a whole database and something freeform like Wonderlist is not going to be able to do that quite as well. But um, if you're using it for other things and also can you can use it to do a shared list for shopping, that's absolutely true. And Harlequin uh, suggested an app called Bring and there was a few people that actually suggested yeah. this. Yeah, um, more than one. It looks very interesting. Like It, it looks quite nice. It's It's quite a visual app and it looks like, you know, you, you kind of put in your groceries and your items via using these little icons. and Yeah, it looks pretty good. It does look pretty It has a watch app as well, so that actually comes with a few recommendations, so that's definitely one to check out. Um, and then Tom Mango, who has the perfect name uh, mm-hmm. to suggest a grocery list app, uh, suggested Paprika. Um, yeah, which is a recipe app, but also has a uh, has a uh, grocery feature. I, I do have Paprika. Um it's 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 not bad. It used to not, I used to not like it as much. I think it's gotten a lot better. But um, I had I was not even aware that it did groceries. Although I'm a skeptic of meal planning. Um, I probably should be better at meal planning. But a lot of times the stuff that I I need at the store is not you know get me the stuff to make a meal. It's I need baking powder. <laughs> no, I need some more juice. And uh, so th- I I'm skeptical about grocery plan grocery apps that are built around meal planning as the primary. Um, but I, I can see why that, that would appeal to some people. And uh, Paprika is a fun recipe app, too. We have one more piece of uh, of uh, list follow-up, too. From Casey List. Yeah, Casey List. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's in his name, Casey List. <laughs> he, he makes lots of lists. He suggested an app called AnyList, which makes me unhappy because the only reason that I use Silo is because he suggested it, and I don't know why he didn't then update with me personally to tell me about AnyList. But I like Silo, and and this app to me... I mean, I I find Silo very simple and visually appealing. Uh, This app, to me, doesn't have that same Mm. visual appeal, but it's there if you want it comes with the list uh, seal of approval. <laughs> list, list recommendation. <laughs> it's on Casey's list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so there's our meal planning follow-up out of the way. And I can't believe, comparatively, how little Google follow-up we got. Well, in fact, our biggest Google follow-up was that Marco wrote a post and then John Gruber linked to it that was specifically about our discussion. So mm-hmm. that was nice. Um, Marco Arment wrote a thing called Why Not Google over on Marco.org and then Jaring Fireball linked to that. So um, that was that was big. We also got some, we got some feedback um, after the IO keynote, which I should say... Uh, the Google I.O. keynote happened last week. We did talk about it a lot on Clockwise 89. So you can go to relay.fm slash clockwise slash 89 to listen to that. Me and Dan Morin, along with Andrzej Tomic and Andy Anako. Yeah, that was a really great episode. I yeah, those guys th- Those guys are both Android users, so that was really helpful to have them in the mix. And also just entertaining. Yes, they are. They're both entertaining. Um so uh, Andrew wrote in to say, do you think using Google Photos is giving up too much privacy considering what you said in Upgrade 38? And I thought it was interesting that when Google announced Google Photos, they made a point of saying that by by default, everything that you are using Google Photos for is private and it's just for you. Now, their systems can access it all because they do intelligent things to try and categorize them all. So you have to feel like, you know, comfortable with the fact that Google's, it's not like some of the Apple stuff where it's encrypted up on the server and Apple can't see it, so they can't do anything with it. Google doesn't behave that way. But I, I would say what what I'm experimenting with Google Photos, and I'm interested to see how it works. And I think what I have said about Google last week and what Mike said kind of goes, which is, you know, I, I it's it's being built like Gmail. Their Their systems are reading my content and trying to do things with it. Um, to make me able to find things faster. But um, I don't feel like that there's a Google employee flipping through my photos. That said, you know, would I be reluctant to have photos that are personally embarrassing, let's say, or compromising in some way uploaded to a cloud service? Well, yeah, any cloud service, I would say that, not just Google. I would say that with Apple, too. If you've got, you know, if you kill somebody and you've got pictures of the murder scene, don't put those in the cloud. Don't do it. Just don't do it. So on that, though, um, it, it is kind of private and siloed at the moment. But I think quite fairly, Google has said that that doesn't necessarily mean it will be that way forever. Um, there was a great interview uh, with Bradley Horowitz, who's currently in charge of like streams and photos, I think is, is what his decision his division is called with Stephen Levy on his Medium blog back channel, um, and so Stephen Levy asked, "Is uh, is that information in photos siloed, or is that going to be available to enhance my Google experience and other products?" So, like, this is the information that that they're able to glean via their sure. like their learning. What that, what is it called? Machine learning. That's it. Yes. So uh, deep Bra- neural networks. Yes. Uh, Bradley's answer was, the information gleaned from analyzing these photos does not travel outside of this product, not today. But if I thought we could return immense value to the users based on this data, I'm sure we would reconsider that. For instance, if it were possible for Google Photos to figure out that I have a Tesla and Tesla wanted to alert me to a recall, that would be a service that we would consider offering with appropriate controls and disclosure to the user. Google Now is a great example. When I'm late for a flight and I get a Google Now notification, my flight has been delayed, I can chill out and take an extra hour, breathe deeply um i like the upfrontness and i i mean you know this goes back to that thing again i see the value in that i'm happy with that you know yeah yeah and this is their game i i, I think 
if if I had to um if I had to qualify or let me say if I if I had to summarize the arguments I hear most often about why people don't use Google services, it's that they're um they're creeped out by the fact and and Marco said this and I think he's right that you know Apple has its issues um uh, and he says always arrogant controlling and inflexible and sometimes stingy and then there's Google always creepy entitled and overreaching and sometimes oblivious I think there's I think there's truth to that but I do think that people see conspiracies where there aren't any and so I, I, I or believe things yeah believe things that are happening that aren't necessarily happening like we got one piece of feedback from somebody who said um they were searching on Amazon for a product and then later they went to a different site and they saw an ad for the product they were searching and that it was creepy. But, you know, that's not Google, that's Amazon. And I think I think a lot of creepy things on the internet get ascribed to Google. That I think the creepiest stuff that happens on the internet is not happening because of Google. I think the creepiest stuff on the internet is happening because of ad tracking and ad networks. Um, and uh, then I might put Facebook... <laughs> And then I put Google down on the list. I do think Google does some things that feel creepy, but that's because I think Google tries very hard to mine information and apply it in clever ways. And some of the people, the uh, let's say the engineers who build their products, I think don't always consider or and don't have a product manager necessarily who's considering how that will be viewed by people. Like, this is a great advance. We can know everything about them. And there's nobody to say... And that will creep them out. And I think they're getting better at that, actually. Um, I think the Google Photos product is very cool. I think it's um, the fact that they they don't want you to do any categorization yourself and that it just sort of does it for you. is a, it, it's, it's really cool. They had some of that before um, when it was inside Google+. They make their animated GIFs and things like that. Um, Apple tries to do this stuff, too. But the difference is that Apple is doing that on the Mac, basically, instead of in the cloud. And I think that's the difference in approaches. The problem right now is that all that metadata doesn't really sync. Um, so you can find faces on photos on your Mac. But if uh, right now, the, the, you know, the, there's no faces view on the iPhone. That that data doesn't sync. So there are some there are some issues with uh, with Apple's approach versus the power that Google can apply to it. But yeah, you know, I get it when people when people say it's creepy. I, I just I don't know. I see them applying value, and this is the way they have to do it. And I don't, I don't think there's a grand conspiracy that Google's going to learn everything about you from your photos, and then that's a privacy risk. Or, it, you know, I, I just, you can see it if you want, but I think Google gets blamed for a lot more than they actually deserve for creepiness. Brandon wrote in to say um, one thing that this is another thing that that Google do get. Uh, criticized for and i think in some instances rightly so that you can invest your time into into these products that they make but they don't have a real problem with killing things yeah um and and you know you can kind of understand that if it's not working then you got to kill it but it is a problem that that sometimes if if something doesn't necessarily meet whatever the goals are at google they 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 kill it off and you know I've seen a lot of people say that about photos i don't think that google photos is going to go that way because um i saw steven say this to someone on twitter and i totally agree photo management now is a key part of big company strategies like it's just a thing you have to have now which is why everybody's absolutely. doing it absolutely and google has to have it because they have android like well, 
Well, they yeah. I mean, they, first off, they've got the they've got the platform, and that's the most natural thing for photo integration is on a cell phone. And it is the I, I think I wrote a piece about this at some point, maybe last year, that photos is the nuclear bomb of the internet. F- photos is the thing that I- everybody wants, and everybody wants everybody's photos. That that is the because that is the powerful connection we have. That's why Facebook wants fo- your photos. That's why Yahoo wants your photos. Google wants your photos. Apple wants your photos. Everybody wants your photos because once if you are the place everybody puts all of their photos, then that that is basically your home on the internet, at least for for this chunk of your life. It's a it's a powerful thing. Uh, you know, Dropbox wants all your photos. Everybody wants your photos. It's a, it, it, you know, and so Google has to do it. Plus, Google is the operating system vendor for a smartphone operating system. So you have to, you know, you have to integrate it there too. So it, it's a it's a natural that this would happen. Um, I, I do agree about the spaghetti against the wall problem with Google that they... they They're kind of too big to do that. They they try a billion different things, and if you adopt all of them, you know some of those things are going to get killed. And I appreciate the fact that they, how should I phrase this? I appreciate the discipline that goes with Google deciding to kill products. I don't appreciate the lack of discipline that goes with Google uh, thinking about the products before they launch them. I feel like that is a place that that's a part of Google's personality that I don't like. Is I feel like sometimes they they. They launch stuff without thinking it through, and I think that I think that's um, if we talk about sort of arrogant behavior of large corporations in the technology world, I think that is one of Google's most arrogant bits of behavior. Is we're so big that we can have these kind of half-assed ideas for products and put them out there and see what happens. Um, and it and and the the consequence of that is a lot of people waste a lot of time building products and using products that are crippled. Uh, that are never going to make it, and that end up being c- colossal failures. And this is, I mean, yeah, I'm coming as somebody who who has really watched Apple for a long time. This is one of the places where Apple is better. Apple's not pristine at this either, but Apple is better at having discipline about the products they release, that they're not going to, a year later, go, oh, never mind. Now, you know, we can always come with examples. Ping is a good example of a badly thought out product that didn't work. Um and I, I, you know, we can we can talk about and many much ink has been spilled about why Ping was a failure and what that said about Apple at the time. But I, I do think that that uh, makes you gun shy. It's like people who said they won't watch any more sci-fi shows on Fox after they cancel Firefly. It's like there's a lack of trust. They're just going to cancel the show that I love, so I'm just not going to watch any of their shows because they're just uh, they're cancelers. They're going to cancel me. And uh, you know, there was some truth to that, and some of it was just paranoia, but. Um, I, I totally get the emotional reaction to that. And I think Google, that is a problem with Google. What if is Google Voice, if you rely on Google Voice, how certain are you, as Brandon pointed out, that Google Voice is going to be there next year? It, they don't talk about it. They kind of aren't into it. So is it just going to fade away? Yeah, if I was a Google Voice user, I would start seriously thinking about not being a Google Voice user. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they bring out everything on I.O., and they do not bring that out. You know, they they put products on, they put products and people on stage at I.O. that don't have to be on stage at I.O. They could make other features about. Like, for example, I think it's great that they did it, but you know all the stuff where they were talking about, like, trying to help the developing world and things like that. That was fantastic, but didn't necessarily fit the developer conference because it was kind of just like, this is stuff that Google's doing. It, to what I saw, there didn't really seem to be any tools they were giving. But it was like the world's view is on them 
Um, so basically, let's tell the world the incredible things that we do. Does that make sense? Right. Yep. Um, but I I very much enjoyed that part of the keynote, but it didn't necessarily fit with what the overall theme of the day was. But the so like basically what I'm saying is like they bring out stuff that they think is important to them. They do not ever talk about Google Voice, which used to be right. something that was very important. No, I, it'll probably survive as a feature inside Hangouts. It's already integrated with Hangouts now. But yeah, I mean, if your business relies on Google Voice and you've got a whole workflow based on Google Voice, you got to be nervous about that. Yeah. Ben Thompson, look at, look at Hangouts instead. Yeah, Ben Thompson had a good piece at Stratechery about how he thought that the second half of the keynote was much more representative of Google's strengths about machine learning and you know deep neural networks and doing really smart things with data. That's what they're good at. The first half of the keynote felt like it was like the stuff. It was obligatory. They had to talk about Android, and um, I thought it was really interesting that Android M is uh, pitched largely as a bug fix release, and then the features that they did add are sort of just like trying to unify things that where they're perceived as being a little bit behind Apple. Um, and I'm hoping that from Apple's side, we get something similar at WWDC, which is bug fixes are important. Stability is important because Google, you know, Google went on stage and said that, that, that uh, these operating systems have been moving really fast. They've, we've added a lot of features to them. We need to shake out some of the bugs now. And I was, I was happy to hear them say that. Yeah. And, and a bunch of my, like on, on clockwise that uh, Anjay and Andy both, both said the same thing, which is. Yeah, please, you know, please make them more stable and fix the battery life problems. And, you know, the Android users, they were uh, they were very pleased to hear Google say we're going to slow down and fix some bugs. Is it bad for me to say that whilst I want that on Monday, that isn't all I want? Well, is that bad I, to say? No, I, I would go back to when when they did uh, when they did Snow Leopard, when Apple did Snow Leopard, they pitched it as a about features and st- about stability and bug fixes and things like that and in the end there were still a hundred new features um, I think th- I think you can get more than that but I think having a focus on it saying look w- instead of having eight amazing new features we're gonna have four amazing new features and then feature five is bugs and you know decreased bugs and more stability I, th- I think that's what you do is you scale it back a little bit after iOS 7 and 8 I feel like that, that, there was so much in those that scaling it back is still going to add a bunch of stuff. But they also have added so much stuff that kind of works that probably needs to actually work. So I feel like that's the that that's the other piece here is let's let's fix up some of the stuff that that we've left kind of half built and let's also take some of our old stuff that's falling apart and rebuild it. So I, that's what I'm I'm hoping for. I mean we're sort of jumping ahead here, but I'm hoping for a mixture of those things. One thing that they could do. I mean, probably developers will, will think I'm crazy here, but, um, like, the problem is it seems to be adding, like, things that are core to the OS is making more problems, right? The, the more core OS features you add, the more complexity you add, and yeah. you're taking people that could be fixing bugs and making them make new features. But what if you just had people that were building cool apps that came with iOS 9, right? So they don't necessarily affect the... OS, but it could be other things. And when I say that, I mean like the music streaming service, right? I mean, yes, it takes work on the music app, but that's just the music app, you know? And then they have like a service that goes alongside it. 
Like, right. let's say they do TV stuff and then they have a new entertainment app on the iPhone or something. So they feel like OS features, but really they're kind of just like things that they just release with the OS. Is is that crazy? Am I like, am I totally barking up the wrong tree? No, I, it depends on where they put their emphasis. But I, I mean, we've definitely looked at some, some of the apps that Apple ships are not up to the standard of the best apps on the platform, right? And uh, they probably should be. So... I think that's reasonable, and the, and that stuff that doesn't necessarily interfere with the infrastructure. There is a delicate line Apple needs to walk between, um, yeah, and they always they always move from one side to the other. Which is, do we do we create apps that are just going to kill other app opportunities, or do we create things that only Apple can create? And they do a little bit of both. Yep. Um, are we out of follow up now? There was one other thing I wanted to mention briefly, which was okay. just us. Uh, uh, Williams, who identified himself as an upgrader-roo, not acceptable, um, <laughs> said that uh, we use Google Drive at work and have hundreds of gigabytes of data from several years of projects, and he says searching it is surprisingly terrible. Yeah, it's weird. I've started doing that recently because I'm getting more and more and more files in Google Drive, so I'm just searching them. And it doesn't work as well as you think it would work, which yeah, they, doesn't they, make they've, sense. They've screwed up Google Drive. This is, this is an example where Google, uh, you know, if there are people... Are there people with blogs about Google services like there are about Apple stuff? Because that, th- this is where people should be howling. I should write a story about this at some point. It, it, they've screwed it up. The fact that you've got Drive and Sheets and Docs and Slides, and they behave differently on, on those different pages. It used to be like everything was in Drive, and Google Docs was essentially the same, synonymous with Google Drive, and everything was in there, and you could search for it, and you could find your spreadsheet, you could find your, your, your document. And now they're all separate. The search behavior is different in different ones. Um, I try to find a file that I know is a spreadsheet, um, and I can't find it in one place, but I can find it in another place. And then I've got the version of it that's on my on my uh, that syncs onto my Mac, uh, where I actually launch a bunch of things. I have Launch Bar searching the file names there, but there's no content there. Um, and what Swilliam said is that you know it's better to just download the whole thing locally and search in the Finder. Which is kind of sad. So yeah, because what it does for anybody that doesn't know, if you do the Google Drive thing, it just downloads links to yeah. the web pages, basically. Yeah, it's fi- little file file names and links. So in in that's actually great for LaunchBar because I can launch something based on a file name in Google Drive and it opens it. But uh, yeah, that's that's something where they are. I I, I assume this is just all fallout from their transition to the, they want to have this idea that Google Drive is a cloud drive. And it used to be that Google Drive was really just Google Docs, which was really a collection of files that uh, were in the web app. And now it's more complicated than that. Um, But on iOS, they've got the Drive app plus all the different individual Docs apps. And then on the web, they've got the same thing. And, you know, yeah, it's hard to search and it's hard to scan for files and... I, I will agree with Williams that it's kind of a mess right now. I imagine it'll get better. They they tend to go through this period with Google Apps, especially where they on the web where they 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 work really well, and then they release some new features, and they're not that good, and then they get better. But with web apps, you can never not upgrade, so you just have to go along for the ride. And yeah, it's kind of rough right now. So I wanted to mention that one too. Yeah, um, it frustrates me though, and I have to have four apps installed. I just don't yeah. understand because then like I use Launch Center Pro to launch all of my I use Launch Center Pro as basically a launcher for Google Drive so yeah. I have links to my most used files in there but then every time I open it I'm then opening three applications to get to one document 
because I have to open Launch Center Pro, then Drive, and then Docs. Because, like, yeah, I could just open Drive and it's two apps, but then it takes way longer to find the app. So it's just like, why? Why don't I just? Why isn't this all just one app? Like, it's crazy making. Should take a break? I think so. This week's episode is brought to you by Linda. They are the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash upgrade. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash upgrade. And you can start learning awesome stuff today. So, you know, we're talking about Google Drive and all that kind of stuff and, you know, complexities and things that frustrate us and things that annoy us. Lynda.com can help you get rid of these sort of sort of frustrations and annoyances by helping you be more effective at these these types of programs. Right. So like let's say for example I'm totally fed up of of uh, Google Drive and I want to go back to Excel, but I'm not 100% sure about how to use Excel because Excel confuses me, which it does. I could learn about Excel on lynda.com instead. You know, they could also teach you about how to use let's say you let's say you're starting a business, right? If you think about all the different things that you need to do to start a business, well, one thing you need to just understand fundamentally how businesses work. Then you might need to learn a little bit about taxation and stuff like that. Maybe then you want to learn about marketing. You want to learn about negotiation tactics so you can be a great salesperson when you're in meetings. Then maybe you want to learn a bit about marketing and bootstrapping your business and that kind of stuff. Lynda.com has courses on all of these, which is kind of incredible. Like you can go to Lynda.com. You can create a playlist for yourself to basically start to finish achieve what you're looking to achieve and you're able to learn from people that are absolute experts who really love what they do and they love teaching and they're all actual experts everything that they're teaching you know, these people have done it all already and you can watch these videos wherever you want so let's say you're planning your business whilst like on the side and maybe you want to watch your lynda.com videos when you're on your way to work in the morning or maybe on your lunch break you can do this on their android and ios device you want to cram a bit of learning in in the evening you can do that you can watch on uh, your laptop or your computer and you can like basically follow along with their little transcripts that they have and you can use these transcripts not only to help you kind of keep track of everything that's being said if you're at that type of learner you like to read along but you can also use them to refer back to points in the video later it's really really cool lender.com is a flat rate You'll get, just play one flat rate and you'll get unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, you're looking to start something for yourself or you want to learn something new, go and visit lynda.com slash upgrade. That's lynda.com slash upgrade and you will be able to sign up for a free 10-day trial right now. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Okay. So this is your first WWDC as the editor-in-chief of Six Colors. It is, yes. Have you received an invite? Yes. Congratulations. I did. I got a very nice email from uh, Apple PR asking me to appear at the keynote. So I will do that. I will present myself on Monday morning, June 8th, at Moscone Center. And uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. So I'll, I'll be there. I'll be in attendance in person. Um. So is it just you? I uh well the massive six color staff of me and Dan. Dan is coming, but I don't think Dan got an invite. So I think I'll be the only one in the in the room for that. Uh, it won't just be be me at the keynote. There'll be like several thousand other people there though. 
<laughs> I didn't think you were handling the invites it's for just everybody. Me. I'm just I'm I'm taking care of. It. I'm the pool reporter for the <laughs> developer conference. I do type fast. I could do that. Um, the yeah. So so I'll be there. And the question that we've had since since we've been doing six colors is how do you cover the keynote? Because it's gonna be it's gonna be live cast. And in the past, what we've done is we've we've had a we have a six colors event uh, Twitter account that uh it will probably be where what i do is i'll be watching the event and taking some pictures and putting things in the in the twitter account yep and and that'll be it although i have thought about um uh, gauging how much of that i do i've always envied john gruber who sits there with a you know like a, a moleskin or a field notes or something and just sort of takes notes with a pen and ponders what's going on and the problem with live blogging is that you don't have time to ponder you have you just type furiously the nice thing about the tweeting is knowing that everybody can you know not everybody but many people have access to the video um the tweeting you can hit the highlights and not and and not go into like verbatim quotes about what's happening on stage and so that's better but i i also sometimes wonder whether i should just um not worry about live but you know, Dan and I have had so much fun doing live blogging of events in the past that um, I kind of don't want to give it up entirely. But there's always that question of like, how much do I want to focus on covering the event moment by moment, and how much do I want to um, think about the event and think about what the highlights are, so that I can write some things afterward without having to reprocess the whole keynote in my mind from a different perspective because I was too busy kind of like tweeting or live blogging during it it's a tough it's a tough one and um honestly as the proprietor of six colors what i'm really thinking is what's the what's best for six colors is it it better for our tweets about what's going on to get circulated around so that people know we exist and hopefully will you know that'll improve our our readership or is it better for us to bypass that or not be as focused on that in order to generate some better stuff later it's a you know that's something that i grapple with and i have since i left macworld um i mean it might be interesting to trial you know obviously not right now because it's a bit soon but like you know you could be the john gruber in the audience and you could have dan and somebody else maybe take over the twitter stream because it's all we'll watch the video we'll see the same thing now yeah um well, that that's the that's the thing is what Twitter gets you is um, if you're in the if you're in the room you can break news. It's stupid because it's just on Twitter, but you can do it. And I, I I've had that experience where I'll say you know here's the new MacBook and it does this and it costs this and I'll have that retweeted hundreds or thousands of times because I was one of the first people to make hmm. that to break that okay. on Twitter. That's nice. I'm not sure if that leads anywhere I don't in terms know if it of does our, our business, right? But it's 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 kind of nice in the moment, and you are you are using the fact that you're one of the people in the group that got invited to be in the room, as opposed to on a potentially janky and delayed buffered uh, video stream. Uh, at the same time, yeah, the other approach would be to say uh, it's not worth it and focus on, you know, your deep thoughts and the experience of being there so that you can write something. And, and this is this is the challenge I've got. You know, there's only one Gruber. And he was he made a comment about how 
um, you know, he he is the only person who's ever written anything on Daring Fireball. And, you know, the fact is, like, I have Dan and I've had a, some other contributors and Federico has some contributors on Max Stories. And, you know, there's only one Gruber and he, he has um, reached his place because he deserves it. Um, he's very good at what he does. And this is one of the things he does is not play that game. And I always ask myself that it's like, you know, I could, I could try to be grouper, but I'm not grouper. I'm my own person with my own strengths and weaknesses that are different from his. So, um, you know, I, although I admire his ability to sit there and just ponder and write things in his notebook. And seriously, my, my memories of these keynotes are there are five of us frantically typing and then I'll look over and I'll see grouper and he's just sitting there, you know, like, pondering nodding writing a little thing down on a on a piece of paper with a pen and uh, you know and the envy that shoots out of you as you're frantically typing so it's you know it, it's a it's a good question um but i don't want to do the verbatim kind of stuff that's kind of ridiculous and yeah i i do sometimes think it would be better if i said hey dan you know you'll have access to a live stream why don't you do some tweeting and i'm just going to i'll interject every now and then but i'm not going to do all the heavy lifting uh, I'm, I'll take some pictures, but I'm not going to do a live photo stream from the event either, because in the end, what's most important is that I'm here paying attention. So, you know, that's that's a difference between breaking, covering it as breaking news and covering it from the big picture perspective. And probably given what I am doing now and what Six Colors is, I'd be better off focusing on the big picture than on the breaking news, because breaking news, everybody's doing it. Ben Thompson is out there nodding if he heard that. So yes, Jason, yes. Do analysis. Don't do breaking news. Breaking news is a commodity. Everybody can do breaking news. It's, just, it's true. I'm finding myself a little bit conflicted about this conversation um, because I feel like my opinion keeps changing. So like, <laughs> well, because like a moment ago I said to you, like, you know, anyone can do the breaking news because everyone's got the video feed. But like part of the benefit of having people in the audience like John is he could see the people on the stage and could get the feel of the room and the understanding yeah. for what's happening. But now again, we can all do that now. To a certain to a certain I mean, extent. it's not exactly the same, but like we can all see the video. So like it's just I wonder because at the same time, do you find that your that your think piece is like is is less effective because you were like frantically no. typing? No, but it, it takes more time. I would say to process what happens because I do have to sort of go back and replay it. If not like literally, I have to replay my memories of it and and think about it in terms of what I what my analysis is because there's not a lot of room for analysis when you're typing frantically. Uh, but that's the question too about like what's the what's the difference between being in the room and not. Um, if they announce products, it's possible that we'll get briefings afterward, but this is a WWDC keynote. It's not like uh, other Apple events where there's a demo room every time because, you know, there's a conference afterward. Um, so what's our purpose in being there versus somebody watching on the live stream? That's that's why I've thought about covering it is that we are ahead of the live stream. So that that's an advantage to it. But at the same time, you know, it, there are lots of people there who are covering it for news outlets who are going to break the news. Do I really need to do that? So it's a, it's you know there's no there's no easy answer here because all of us get to see the keynote. It was different when it got posted hours later or didn't get posted at all, right? But it, it, it's uh it's not like that now. So that that's the question. Because it was it, one of the, the the most interesting things to me about 
um, these most recent events was after the Apple Watch event where I was telling you and Federico what was happening afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, like we we did the show and you hadn't been online. Yeah, And I was having to explain to you both like things that had happened in the keynote and information that came out out afterwards. And it was really interesting that you've been in the room. However, you were in this like bubble. Mm Mm-hmm. That happens more when there's that hands-on area afterward, because then you're in the hands-on area getting your hands on the products, which is something that nobody else, you know, people who aren't there don't get to touch the products. So that's like your number one advantage in being there live. But at the same time, when you're doing that, you are not pawing through all the PR and all the tech notes and finding out all these other weird details that are that are coming out uh, from other sources, because you're just busy, you know, looking at the Apple Watch or or typing on the MacBook or whatever the new product is at the at the time. I would challenge you, Jason Snell, the next special event to 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 not live blog it, to have people do it for you and you think. All right, we'll see. I think that would be interesting. We'll see. Just try and get the best of both worlds out of it. I've been I, I I always consider it and that may happen. We'll see. So let's talk about WWDC, the actual I'm interested in the in your preparation. So I would like to do a kind of day in the life if you if you don't mind. Okay. So what time of day does does WWDC start for you like the keynote day? Well, let's say the keynote's at, the keynote starts at 10. They start doing registration I think at 8, is that right? God. Something like that. I should I should look at uh You should look at your invite. <laughs> I should look at my invite and see, right? Oh, it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did I miss it? Did they um no, I, I think it's I think it's the it starts at the 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 keynote thing opens at uh check in begins at eight, doors at nine, keynote at ten. So what I'm gonna do is aim to be there between eight and nine. You know, be on the eight eight side of eight and nine. Mm-hmm. And that means uh, you know, getting to the city by eight thirty, I'll give myself an hour. I probably don't need all of that, so that's seven thirty. So leave the house at seven thirty, you know, and then you back up. How long does it take for you to, you know, get up and shower and get ready and get out the door? Um, which for me is generally not a lot of time. But yeah, seven fifteen, I'll wake up. <laughs> I'll set the alarm for six thirty or something like that. Yeah, and I'll pack up. I'll the night before. I will hopefully have packed up my stuff. Uh, you know, camera again, especially if I've decided that I'm going to be taking pictures and things. Um, camera and uh, laptop and the right cables, all of that sort of thing in a bag, ready to go, so that I'm 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 you know I don't have to pack my bag when I'm leaving in the morning. Usually, if I'm taking pictures too, I've got this tethering set up using Aperture, and so I will end up uh, the day before you know running a test with that on a Sunday afternoon where I've got my camera open and it's tethered to my laptop and I'm taking pictures to make sure that all my scripts and stuff to upload that stuff uh, actually works. What do you do when you get to Moscone? Like, what actually happens? Well, it used to be I'd drive to the office and then I'd walk over, but (laughs) I don't have an office anymore, so I will park somewhere probably in the Mission Garage, which is right next, it's right around the corner from Moscone. It's an enormous parking garage. And you get there and if if registration has opened then you know you basically you walk in you say that you're with the press because there's a long long developer line that's waited for hours and hours with the press you just walk in say i'm you know here for media registration they uh they point you down and then and then there are you know two or three 
people from Apple PR sitting at a table. And uh, if you go at eight o'clock, there'll be a long line of media people who are waiting in that line. And if you go at uh, at eight forty, there's probably nobody there. <laughs> That's how it works. People get there really early and wait in the line. And then if you go a little bit later, there's often no line at all. And uh, they'll give you a badge and send you upstairs. And you go up to the third floor. So you go up two long escalator rides to get to the top. And there's an area where the press is. So on the way up, you'll often see they'll stage some of the line for the developers will be on the second floor. So they'll be going up one set of escalators. You're going up another set. You'll see people sometimes, you know, waiting in the queue on the second floor to come up. Um, and then uh, you... I kind of imagine everyone going up the press escalator like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. And then and then you get up to the third floor and there's and the, that's where all the all the keynote guests are that are not the developers. So that's your media and VIPs and analysts and stuff like that. And there's usually you know it's it's WWDC, so there's there's a refreshment station there. So there's juice and some food and stuff like that, which I tend. I tend not to drink because then you have to go to the bathroom during the keynote, which is a bad idea. Um, although the other way to do it is to uh, also sometimes that you can't get to the bathroom on the third floor uh, before the keynote doors open. And that's difficult because then you have to go back down and you have to negotiate your way back down and then back up. And it's a whole thing. So this is not interesting. Anyway, that is so you end up waiting up there. And then at some point, the doors open a lot what they'll do is they'll load in the photographers first because they get to go to the special photographer area and then at some point they just let you go and everybody sort of as it gets closer to that time all the press are just sort of massing closer and closer toward the door you know closer and closer toward where the doors are going to be and then the doors come up and you walk in and some people run but that's really undignified and there's usually a lot of room and you, you you know you get up there and and uh, you try to find a find a spot that's close and not a terrible angle because they put us off to the side and you know, and then and and you if you if you've run into some people and you want to sit near them, then you know you keep eye contact with them and find where they're all sitting, and you sit there, and that's it. And then and then usually what happens is we all get sat, seated in there, and then there's a roar, and that's the rush of all the developers running in. Is there a lot of running? Uh, developers do a lot of running. That's where fist pump guy comes from. Fist pump guy <laughs> is a runner. Fist pump, fist pump guy runs to the point where he can be on camera going whoa and pumping his fist that guy they they, yeah no the developers are excited and they want to get good seats so they run a lot of running they've also been standing a long time in a line and finally they're let you know they're let loose they're unchained to run and they do run developers run what do you do afterwards Afterwards, it's funny. So the lights come up and, and you're standing there and some people go to the front and try to get a moment with Tim or something like that or overhear what Tim is talking about. That happens sometimes or Phil Schiller because usually at the front of that area, they'll be sometimes with a uh, with a, a product that got announced. Um, that'll be at the front. Um, WWDC is a little bit different in that you have this event that's going on afterward. A press, a pure press event isn't quite like that. So yeah, you maybe chat with some of the people you know in the media um, or some developers you run into and and uh, share some thoughts about it. Back when I was doing Macworld and we had multiple people there, there would also be some like, who's doing what? Where are we going? Are you gonna? Are we gonna meet at back of the office? Are we gonna do a podcast? All that sort of thing. Like a um, one, two, three break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as so as a solo person, I don't have to I don't have to worry about that that kind of uh, game planning stuff. Um, but yeah. So uh, and then eventually you kind of wander out, and if you've got a briefing with Apple PR, you might hang around and wait to be called into the back to get a briefing. And if you 
if you uh, if you don't have a briefing, then you maybe chat with developers and media people that you see. Um, but you know, eventually you you realize that you know one, you need to get yourself some lunch, and two, you probably got a half a dozen stories to write, and uh, you you know you go downstairs and you head out. And those those badges are only good for the keynote. Um, sometimes they let uh, press have uh, conference badges to hang out for the week, and I've had that the last few years. But I don't think that's happening this year, at least not for me. So, and I wasn't going to buy one. I didn't even put in for 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 that. So. Um, then you, you leave, and this year will be different because there are people around, and there's AltConf, and there's layers, and there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. I'll be looking for you, Mike, so that we can do our special post-keynote edition of, of Upgrade. I'll be hiding. I'll probably be at Blue Bottle or something. I don't know where I'm going to be. I haven't decided where I'm going to watch the, the keynote yet. I should probably make that decision. The Relay Hotel Suite. Well, I really enjoyed last year. Um, there was a single the uh, guy English and and singleton, so like Luke and and everybody put on a uh, event at Twitter's office to watch right. the keynote. Um, and I really really enjoyed watching it in a room with people. Um, so I know that release notes uh, and AltConf are doing a thing where they're going to be showing like a lot of sessions and the keynote um for free i believe in a in the alt comp venue so i might do that um i don't know yet i don't know yet because for example if it ends up being like 10 or 15 friends can get into one hotel suite or whatever and watch it then that might be perfectly fine yeah uh, but i'll see i haven't i just haven't right. really put that thought into it yet but i should probably make that decision soon enough Okay. Let's take a break, and then I want to actually talk to you about what you think is going to happen on Monday. Um, Excellent. I especially want to talk to you about OS X. All right. This week's episode is brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be chained to your desk to do your best work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting, share status updates from your phone as you're leaving the office, you have one foot out of the door, you can be sharing your status update, you know, Friday, and you can access the latest version of a file from home if you like. You can be in your pajamas eating cereal and getting on with your work. That is up to you because these days we like to be mobile people and Igloo understand that and they build their intranet to be mobile too. People are increasingly bringing in outside apps into companies these days. You know, and this this goes along with us being mobile. We have everything with us. We want it to be with us wherever we go. So people are using services like Box and Google Drive and Dropbox. And the problem with this is twofold. It is scattering documents across different platforms and people, they're living in this person's Google Drive, this person's Dropbox, the company's Box account. Like, they're all over the place. One of the other problems with this is that could be a huge security risk for some companies. Like, the stuff has to stay in the company. It can't really like be just saved in random places around the internet. This is something that Igloo can solve. Igloo allows you to integrate services like Box and Google Drive and Dropbox into their one big, easy-to-secure platform. If you understand terms like 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, and active directory integration, then you'll know just how safe and secure Igloo is. If you don't understand that, just trust me, it's super safe. They've got everything nailed down. 
Igloo really cares about design. If you look at your current intranet platform, looks like it was built in the 90s. It looks like it was made by somebody who has a personal vendetta against you because it's so ugly. These days are over. Igloo wants you to make your intranet feel like it's a place you actually want to be. It's really configurable. You can change the look and feel. You can change different uh, functionality in different parts of the intranet as well to meet the needs of different types of people. It's time for you to break away from an intranet that you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So go to igloosoftware.com slash upgrade. And you can try it out right now. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Igloo! Woohoo! Go Igloo! Um, so I've had this this topic in the document for a couple of weeks because I'm, yeah. I'm interested in getting your thoughts on OS X. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you about this is I listen to lots of shows that focus on iOS. I have other shows that focus on iOS. Yeah. But I, I really believe that you are probably a person that is in a good place to think about where OS ten is going. Remember the Mac, Mike? Remember that? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so do you think that we're going to see OS 10.11 at WWDC? I think we'll see a new version of OS ten. I mean, I wrote, I wrote that piece on Macworld about how I feel like it's a great time for them to drop the OS 10 branding and start calling it Mac OS again and then they can make it 11.0 and you know but I do think there'll be a new version of OS 10 and that'll have a California location as a code name or marketing name or whatever they want to call it uh, I do think that'll happen I think that they I would be I would be shocked if they said yeah we're not gonna we're just gonna keep on iterating on Yosemite for another year um, it wouldn't surprise me if they called it 10.11 it wouldn't surprise me if they called it 11.0 it wouldn't surprise me if they called it 10105 honestly wouldn't surprise me i'm still i'm still hedging uh, my bets eventually for it to be apple os um cuz that just feels like that's the route that current apple is like moving away from i and stuff and uh, yeah, it sounds well, horrible but but the, the iMac you know, is not going to become the mac and the iphone is not going to become the apple phone it's just it's the i is they're stuck with the i on some of their top level products so sure I, I, I don't believe that will happen, but, you know, shine on, you crazy diamond. <laughs> you know me. If I throw enough crazy things out there, one of them's going to stick what? one day. Well, I know. I just listed all of, all the possibilities that I think will happen, so I'll be able to point back and say, see, I mentioned that one. That I was told one of you the I was I right. I told you that was one of the possibilities. We Yes, it'll all explode or won't. I got that one right, because it'll be one of those. Very, very binary. What, what do you think is really likely to come to OS ten. Like I find it harder and harder these days to think of what OS ten features could be. Like the one that I always thought, oh, you know, a redesign. And they've done that now. So like Well the rumors are that they're gonna bring the San Francisco font that's in the Apple Watch and that's gonna unify across the Apple Watch and iOS and Mac OS. So that's that's one that that I they they have gone you know Yosemite did a lot and they changed the font to Helvetica Noia but that this will this will sort of change the the typeface again and have it be more unified across Apple's product line. So that's a thing. That's a really minor thing, but that's a thing. I think there's a lot of um, not to get back to the boring bug fixes and stability, but keeping things in step with iOS. Um, and having the iOS and Mac OS and, and and Apple Watch, frankly, integration all just kind of have all the handoff stuff, have all the inner device communications work better with one another, um, fix a lot of bugs, 
support whatever new initiatives that Apple's got that that will be on the phone and the watch and the iPad in the future. I think all of that comes into play. Um, I, I I agree that there's not a lot of uh, of low hanging fruit. I mean, I wrote I wrote a piece. My 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 column on MacWorld last week was was about. I was just going to write a link about um, this rumor that Apple or this it was like a patent report of Apple doing a keyboard that had touched the keys are are itself a, a trackpad. So you don't necessarily need a trackpad. You just move your finger across the keys and you move your cursor. And I it, it ended up being this totally different article that was essentially saying. Um, as I was writing it, I, I was realizing that that the Mac now has this weird position for Apple where. I don't think the best and brightest at Apple are spending huge amounts of time looking at the Mac and saying, um, "What what can we do on the Mac to revolutionize the PC in the next you know in the next fifteen years of the existence of the personal computer?" Because in some ways, a lot of those ideas don't make the Mac not the Mac anymore. Makes the Mac into something else, probably an iPad essentially, and they already have an iPad. They already have iOS. One one of the great factors in the popularity and success of the Mac as a product at this point in its life in 2015 is that it is a traditional computer, right? It's a like a laptop with a keyboard and a screen. It, it has a pointer that you use, you move around a cursor. Um, it's got the, all the classic kind of software on it. It has that, that paradigm is strong on the Mac. And I feel like that is great. I am a Mac user and I love my Mac and I, I couldn't, survive without it i think but um you know if you if you put too much innovation into it you've broken the metaphor and the reason people want this product is that it's like it is it, it you know it is what it is it's it's a computer and um and so a lot of the real innovation that apple's doing in terms of like what's the computer of the future going to be is happening on iOS it's not happening on the Mac so that puts that puts OS 10 in a difficult position because while they want to evolve the hard, hardware and the software on the Mac they can only do it to a certain point because beyond that point what's the point of even having a Mac if it, if it's totally going to be radically different then it, it's eliminating the number one appeal of this product which is that it, it's a computer that it works like we expect a computer to and it's got more power but it's you know it also has the that interface that we're used to so um, so I think it's tough. I think it's really tough for them to to push the platform, which is why I think the last few years, what what OS X development has largely been about is integration with Apple's other devices, like Handoff and things like that, which when they work are spectacular, but they don't work as well as they should. And so I feel like the more they can do with that, um, given how the Mac App Store is not super exciting, maybe the more that they can do in terms of continuing to improve their apps that are that come with the system, would be welcome. I mean, we saw that with photos where they're trying to push that forward, integrate it with their other devices, integrate it with the cloud, but also make it a better experience on the Mac. But it's, uh, you know, but I'm with you. It, it is harder and harder to come up with things where you can say, oh, I know that feature that's just sitting out there that I wish the Mac would do. It's a lot harder to think of that now. Um, the, now, you know, there's somebody at Apple who's probably paid to sit there and think about it all the time. And they've probably come up with more ideas than we have. But still, I think it's a really hard problem because there's there's a barrier that you, beyond which you can't go. You can't be too innovative because then it's not the Mac anymore. Does that make what, sense? It does. What does it take to go to eleven? <laughs> well, it's just like one that. louder, isn't it? <laughs> you just when you need that extra thing, go over the cliff. You just yeah. go one louder. 
It's eleven. Do you see what I mean? Though, like at, at this yeah. point, they, you've gone for OS ten for so long. You've gone to OS ten to the point where it doesn't even make sense. Like to I don't call think, it OS ten anymore. I don't think you need to justify the change to eleven. I think it's a, I think it's a branding change. I think what it takes to go to eleven is um, unless it's something totally crazy, like you can run iOS apps now or something like that, and every Mac's going to get a touch screen and you're going to run iOS apps, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so if that one happens, then I'll say, look, I didn't say it. <laughs> I said it wouldn't. I was wrong. Um, I think all it takes, that, that was what my piece was that I wrote. Uh, I think all it takes is a rebrand, uh, is to say, look, this is Mac OS, and the number doesn't matter, right? It's Mac OS Big Sur or whatever it is, and it's version 11.0, but the number no longer is part of the branding. Um, you know, now that Windows 10 is apparently going to be here forever because <laughs> Microsoft may never... They're gonna they're gonna do with Windows what Apple did with the Mac 15 years ago and just say it's 10. 10's a good number. We're gonna stick with 10 for a long time. Um, maybe it's time for Apple to just make it not about the number. I feel like that X branding is kind of old. So just say it's Mac OS. I, I I think that's what it would take is just saying, look, we're we're not gonna call it OS 10 anymore. We're gonna call it Mac OS. We have iOS. We have Mac OS. Those are our two operating systems. And this is you know and this is Big Sur or whatever it is. It didn't really feel to me like Yosemite was the time to do it. Like, the the change was big enough. Like, a, 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 I mean, you know, if you look at previous versions, if you look at Mavericks and you go back to Leopard and Lion, it doesn't look massively different. Like, it, it's just different enough. Like, everything's still there where it was, you know, yeah. but it just looks different. But I feel like, considering how long it had been, like, small changes, this is the biggest UI change that there's been for a long time. Um I I wonder why they didn't do it then, especially because this was ten ten, which is just oh, like so crazy. We don't, <laughs> you know? we don't. We don't. I, I, there are a lot of mysteries of Apple OS marketing. This is this is another thing I mentioned, in, and that story is I wonder about why they changed the name from Mac OS ten to OS ten and dropped the Mac from it. I'm unclear whether they felt like some lawyer said, well, they, they may affect your trademark, or whether. There was a, a software executive who said, this is all part of our grand plan that we're going to unify the operating systems. But, you know, th th that software executive may be financing Broadway shows instead now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so I, I, there are great mysteries about why Apple has done what it's done in the past. And maybe they just maybe they just weren't ready to make that change. But I, I agree, it is sort of increasingly ludicrous that this thing is named 1011, 1012. On, other, on the other hand, maybe it doesn't matter because it's not... You know, it's it's just software versioning. It's not a decimal. It's just software versioning. It could go ten ten dot ninety, and nobody would care. But I just don't understand why ten is a thing that needs to be a marketing point, and and with a big X, it feels very last decade, maybe even very twentieth century. It's totally extreme operating system. It yeah. made a lot of sense in two thousand. I'm not sure it makes sense in twenty fifteen. And since what what Apple has is two platforms, they have the iPhone and and. Uh, pad platform and they've got the mac book imac you know macbook pro mac pro they've got the mac platform calling it ios and mac os if you're not going to merge them together seems to be a much better approach and you get out from under the x i agree and you just that. go back to mac so so i'm i'm a real believer in that i don't know if they'll ever do that um and they're probably, if, if anybody at Apple is listening to me, they're probably like, yeah, that guy has no idea what he's talking about because something that we don't see. But I would just, I think 10 just needs to come out of the equation and just let's not, and then you can increment it to 11 if you want to and nobody cares. I do think we'll it's, see. yeah, 
I I get what you mean about like the version numbering. Like you know, it is just version numbering. But I think version numbering is a bit more awkward when the name of your product is also a number. I agree. I agree. OS ten ten point ten is crazy. Like if it was called OS X, if that was how it was said, it would be easier to accept the numbers. Sure. I think right, but it's not. It's OS ten, and and so the name of the product is OS ten. 10.10 unless you use the marketing name which is Yosemite which is what they what we all should do only computer nerds really care about the version number except when you go to the about box and the, and you're doing tech support and you say what version do you have and it says well I have Yosemite no I need the version number and it's like well it's 10.10.2 like oh well you need to update to 10.10.3 because x so or 10 how's that pronounced how's that letter pronounced uh so I don't know it, it's it's uh it, it's still there it, it you can't make it disappear even though normal people don't care about it it still has to be there for tech support and things like that but it shouldn't matter I I just think yeah it could go on forever and I'd be okay with it but I just think that the the X10 branding is just kind of old and unnecessary and the Mac is what it is it's all about the Mac Let's not. I think OS X was a name when they stripped the Mac out of it. When they were in visualizing that other devices that weren't Macs would would run OS X, but that's not like Apple TV ran OS X, and it really was based on the Mac version originally until they did the new generation little black box that ran on a version of iOS. I just feel like the, you got Watch OS, you got iOS, you got Mac OS. Just call it what it is. There's never going to be another device that isn't a Mac that runs Mac OS. So just call it that. I have one uh, more question, and I want to do a quick fire round with you. All right. Um, so, what are your review plans for OS X currently? What do you think you'll you will want to do with that? Because there is still, a big hole. Yeah, I'm fill. still thinking about it. I, I mean, in the past, what I've written is the three or four thousand word review of OS X, um, and I'm open to that. I don't. I, at one point, I talked to Susie at MacWorld about the possibility of me just writing that again, except this time, you know, it would be something they would pay me for as opposed to it being part of my job as a salaried employee. So that might happen. You know, and the MacWorld review in the, you know, four or five thousand word, that's that's what I call that. Um, that's the sweet spot where um, there'll be a group of people who think that's way too many words to spend on an operating system. And there'll be another group of people who think it's way too few words. But I think that there will, there's also a group of people where it's like, yeah, that's about right. I don't need to read. For some people, they don't need to read 25,000 words about the operating system. 5,000 will do. It's a nice read. It's substantial, but it's not kind of just uh, everything but the kitchen sink and, oh, there's the kitchen sink too kind of review, which is the, the Syracusean length. Um, I've also thought about doing something longer. Um, there is a hole to fill with John Syracuse gone. I've thought about writing something at, a, at, at length and posting it on Six Colors or um, making it an ebook or both. Um, and that's possible. Um, in the past two, Dan Morin has reviewed iOS for Macworld. And, you know, I got to talk to Dan about how he wants to do that. Dan, Dan too, is, you know, in the, in the market for freelance writing. But, um, you know, he and I may try to collaborate on some stuff in that area. So nothing is certain yet. I, I certainly will review it somewhere in some form. But I think that, I think that after we see the announcements, I'll have a better idea yeah. of, of where I might do it. And it's possible that Adam and Tanya Angst will, will come to me and say, we want you to do one, you know, something as a take control book. And I would be open to that too. So I'm kind of I'm 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 just kind of waiting to see what the announcements are, what the scope is, and you know what my options are. If you know if Susie comes to me and says we really want you to do it for MacWorld, then maybe I'll you know I'll certainly have to make a decision at that point of if I want to do that or not. But she may not ask. So um, there'll be something. I will I will definitely be writing something with thousands of words about 
OS ten, if assuming that there is a release. I, I will definitely do that. So I wanna do uh rapid fire quick predictions with you. All right. So I want to see where Jason Snell's head is right now going into WWDC. Okay. So basically, I've I've got a bunch of little uh, like little headings here and I want to see what you think about each. So this is kind of what are we going to see? What do you think are the main things we're going to see in iOS? iOS uh San Francisco font and I'm going to say uh lock screen complications a la Apple Watch. And beyond that, I don't know, improvements to extensions, improvements to the stuff that was that was introduced last year, you know, ex- extending the functionality of extensions and the today view, maybe getting rid of the concept of the today view in notification center and calling it, you know, calling it something else because it's more about today than it is about notifications at this point overhaul of notification center i'll put on that list too because i think with the apple watch here um notifications in general could probably be handled better and be more granular and uh and i think notification center has gotten kind of too big to uh to be managed right now do you think we're going to see any specific improvements to the ipad my gut feeling, the old Apple, I would say no, absolutely not, because if they've got a new iPad coming, they'll announce those improvements then. Um, my gut feeling now is they may announce that iOS 9 on the iPad has split screen or some other kind of weird format like that in order to, and it works on the current iPads. You could totally build it for the current iPads. And everybody will be like, this seems somewhat impractical for the current iPads because the story is that there will be a big iPad that will also be out. That, that Something like that could totally happen. So I'd say, I'd say probably not, but it's possible that you might see something um, that is kind of applicable to the current iPads, but also points the way toward developments in the iPad world in the fall. Uh, but I, I'd say the old Apple would probably have held off and been, maybe been coy and and, sa- and saying, we, we've added some new behaviors like they did with the iPhone 6, where it's like, well, you know, dynamic app design and <laughs> larger screen sizes, not that there are any larger screen sizes coming. You, you usually see hints of that. I think we'll see hints of what's going to happen with the iPad, assuming something is. but. Um, but you know, newfangled Apple might just go out and say, this is a feature we're going to add not, and not pre-announce the hardware, but you know, let us all kind of go, ah, I see what they're doing there. We'll see. HomeKit. Yes. Lots. HomeKit was essentially a pre-announcement. They needed a, they needed a year to prime the pump. Um, I wrote about that for, for, uh, I'm more a week or two ago. Um, it's taken a year. They'll, they'll probably have the first HomeKit products that are shipping to talk about at WWDC because they're supposed to start really shipping in June. It took a year for HomeKit stuff to ship. So I think they will tell the HomeKit story and that there will be more HomeKit demos, whether it's apps that are built around HomeKit or whether it's a home app in iOS 9. But yes, for sure, HomeKit's going to be a thing that they're going to talk about because it's really, you know, it's the missed promise of last year's keynote where they, they had to announce it because they needed to get the ball rolling, but it's taken a year for that ball to start rolling. Watch OS. Yes, absolutely. I think we're going to get a watch OS 2.0 announcement um, or 1.5 or whatever they want to call. It. I mean, again, version number two cares, but I think there'll be a new watch OS beta that will be available to developers then or shortly thereafter. And a, um, 
and a uh, uh, an app kit for native app development on WatchOS. I, I do I do think that that's coming. Maybe they'll call it 1.1. I don't know whether they'll call it 2.0 or not. But yes, I think the app development story that has been promised for a long time about the Apple Watch will we'll hear about it at uh, at WWDC. Will we hear or see more about Swift at WWDC? I think we will hear more about Swift. It may or may not be in the keynote. They may mention, since it's a developer keynote, they'll probably mention Swift in the keynote and say, and we've, you know, we've done a lot more and there's a new spec and it's great and everybody loves it and you can find out more in a later session. I, d- I doubt we will go into a lot of detail about Swift at the keynote. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. But I do think they'll mention it because it'll give uh, op- opportunity for developers to cheer about Swift and for them to thank the developers for their interest in Swift and, ex- and and do a very brief sort of like, here's where we're going with Swift. We're adding all these new things. Find out about it later. And then, you know, the the nitty gritty will happen outside the keynote where they'll, they'll I would imagine, have a lot more about like what they've learned and, and any changes that they're making to the, to the format. CarPlay. I'm on the fence about that one. Um, if... Yes, I think it has to be because iOS 9 will have to have improvements to CarPlay because CarPlay desperately needs improvements. And there have been some rumors about them up, updating CarPlay to have Bluetooth and not just by wire support and all of that. So I think there will be CarPlay. It will be in the keynote. I don't know. It depends on how uh, good they feel about it. I, I, Having tested CarPlay, I don't think the current version is anything Apple would be proud about, but, but maybe a new version is. Apple TV? I hope so. I hope this is this is when we get the new hardware and uh, developer and uh, you know developer story for Apple TV. All the rumors say that that may actually happen. I will continue to hope, as I have for the last three years, that that will finally happen. Will we see uh, announcements of a music streaming service? Uh, I don't know. Heavily rumored. Heavily rumored. Even as we're recording today, The Verge is posting new reports, apparently. Yeah. You know, if they're going to integrate it into the operating system, then this would be the time to to announce it. I could also see them. Yeah, it's probably going to be something where they announce that it's happening and then it, but it's going to launch later. But who knows? They could, they could just release it on iOS 8 uh, with an update as well. Well, the rumor is released, uh, announced now, releasing in a few weeks' time. Yeah, like that's, all right. That's well, the kind of the rumors. Who who am I to deny the rumor? I mean, I, it wouldn't. It, they don't. I don't feel like they have to do it, other than the fact that the clock has been ticking for so long since the Beats acquisition. Um, hey, before that, it would be great to see. And actually, that to to go back to like Mac uh, predictions and what's going on with OS ten, a, a a streaming service app or better streaming service integration in iTunes, this might be a good opportunity to revamp iTunes too as a part of this. Don't dangle that dream in front of me, Jason. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, will we see any hardware announcements at WWDC this year? I'm going to say yes because I think the Apple TV thing is going to happen. Uh, it's also possible that they might, you know, mention a Mac Pro update or something like that, that th- those things can can happen too but i i think if if we're banking on this apple tv thing finally happening um because there's a developer story around it then that would be uh, that seems to me to be the most likely in terms of apple hardware there will probably be some like home kit announcements and support for carplay announcements but that's not what we're really talking about are we going to see anybody new on stage do you think i hope so 
I hope so. Apple's keynotes have had have been a, a, a largely a parade of of um, middle aged white men for the past forever. Which I meant to say earlier, hand it to Google. Yeah, Google. You know, Google. Google has um, has diversity in their ranks and diversity on their stage. I don't know enough about Apple to know how diverse their ranks are. I know enough of what I've seen on stage to see that that um, the, there's not a lot of diversity on the stage. And although I appreciate them bringing Christy Turlington on stage last la- last time, she doesn't work at Apple. And you know, although she does admirable charity work now, she's famous because she's a supermodel, or was a supermodel. Apple's got to have Apple's got to do better. Now, I I think that the representation in WWDC um, panels and events, the presentations, has actually been much better. I I've seen um, more racial diversity and gender diversity at WWDC. So those people are there at least some of those people are there, it would be nice to see more diversity on the stage. And I, I know we've got our cast of characters and I know uh, that are the Apple executives, but I think uh, they need to, they need to up their game there. Any chance that we will see the chief design officer? No. You still don't, you still think no? It seems that Johnny and Angela Aarons don't want to be on stage. That's my, <laughs> seems to me. There was part of me that was wondering like, you know, that was maybe one of Tim's demands. I wonder if uh, Angela Aarons, I, you know, I'd like to see her and maybe she just does not do stage presentations, but they always do the CEO does the retail update. And that would be a really easy way to get to say, I want to introduce Angela Aarons who's going to tell you about what we're doing in retail. Um, that, you know, that would be a, a, a pretty good win right there if they would do that. Because, you know, that's a prominent woman executive on the on the management team at Apple. The only... Yeah, yeah, right. But, <laughs> but she's got things to talk about, and in fact, I think she's doing a really good job. Just I know we've run we've run long with this show, but I went um, to the Apple Store yesterday because my wife. Um, it's been two years since she bought her iPhone five, so she got an iPhone six. It's very exciting. Mike was wrong. I I actually tried to push her to the iPhone six plus, Mike. I I said you know you keep it in your purse most of the time, and uh, then you, you when you take it out, you're gonna have the bigger screen and all of that. And she's and and she uh, held that iPhone six plus, and she was like, yeah, no. We should have. You should have waited to it's have this much. conversation until I came, and then I no, could extol the real virtues of the six. I, plus. No, I was in there for you. I was. I was. I was sort of playing the part of Mike and explaining the virtues of the iPhone six plus. Uh, but anyway, we went, and it was a really great experience. the The only things that were bad about it were involving the carrier, which is that carrier stuff in the U.S. is a complete mess. Um, they're trying. AT and T is trying to move to a a little more sane approach where they have these plans that are explicitly basically um, uh, financing plans for your phone subsidy. Instead of it being hidden in your bill, they just say, look, you can, for two years, you pay off your phone and then it's paid off and you stop paying. That's a move forward. But we still had a moment where I would have rather just paid the full price unsubsidized for the phone. But it was unclear to me whether our plan would actually go down if we did that, or whether they'd keep charging us the rate as if we were paying a subsidy, which would totally be like AT&T to do. And the guy, at, at one point, the guy at the Apple store was like, yeah, that you, you that, that's complicated enough that you need to talk to AT&T about. I can't answer that. But he answered so many questions. I was very impressed because I feel like the last couple of years at the Apple store uh, with, with Ron Johnson gone, um, whether that was connected or not, that service has declined where it's like, it's harder to get a person. It's harder to get straight answers you have to you have to wait there's confusion 
And with the Apple Watch stuff, and then with this experience upgrading her phone, I felt like my last two experiences at the Apple Store have been really good. And I, I, I wonder if this is Angela Arendt's at work, kind of like fixing some stuff that was that was drifting in the Apple retail experience. I don't know. I only have those two anecdotes, but they've both been very good interactions with Apple Store employees. And, you know, it was, we, we talked to the guy, he walked us through, he asked us what model we wanted, that got radioed to the back. He walked us through everything else we needed to know. Guy appears with a phone from the back and says, here's your, here's your phone. Set it up. It was, yeah, I was very impressed. And I, I've had much less impressive interactions the last couple of years in the Apple Store, but not, not, not my last few. Time for Ask Upgrade? I think it is. Jason, who brings Ask Upgrade to us this week? Ask Upgrade is brought to us as usual, I think, at this point, by our good friends at MailRoute. MailRoute is a service. I've talked about them many times before. Uh, They live in the cloud. They're like cloud people. They actually live in the cloud. They're made of clouds. And this is what they do. They intercept. Imagine. (laughs) Okay, metaphor time, Mike. Are you ready? Ready. Um, uh, mail route is a cloud, but it's a defensive cloud. It, it, uh, it, there are, there are things hurling from outer space at you. That is, uh, your email. And some of it is good. And some of it is bad. They're the ones that land uh, with a parachute and you get them and you go, yay, I got email. And then the ones that come in like a meteorite and they hit you and it's spam. You're like, ow, ow, spam. I hate spam. Well, the mail route is that protective layer. It goes above you. It lives in the cloud. It is a cloud. And it searches through the stuff that's coming at you and says, that's good, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. Bad stuff is intercepted. It's put away in a little holding bin, perhaps inside the cloud somewhere, I don't know. Um, and you never see it. So th- this is what MailRoute is. MailRoute is a service that puts itself between you and the big bad internet. Your mail server is protected. Good mail gets delivered to you. Bad mail never sees your front door. It's kept safe and secure in MailRoute's cloud. So you don't have to install any special hardware or software. You don't have to update the software in order to get new features. It all happens at MailRoute. MailRoute gets your mail, sorts it, and delivers it. It's easy to set up. You point your MX record for your domain at MailRoute. That basically says, all mail, go to MailRoute first. Then MailRoute delivers it to your server. So super simple. It's reliable. It's trusted by large institutions like universities and corporations. It's easy for desktop users to you. And if you're an email administrator or IT professional, uh, and I know you're out there, they have the tools that you want. They've got an API so you can manage accounts on the service easily so that you can keep your local email accounts in sync with the email addresses up at MailRoute. And it supports all the buzzwords, including some of our favorites, like LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Mailbagging. Mailbagging, sir? Mailbagging indeed, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Outbound relay, everything you'd want from people handling your mail. And you can try it all out for free. There's a risk-free trial, no credit card necessary. You sign up, change those domain records, and that's it. Your server is completely protected, so you should give it a try. Everybody who listens to Upgrade can get a 10% off lifetime discount at MailRoute by going to MailRoute.net slash Upgrade. That's MailRoute.net slash Upgrade. So thank you to MailRoute for your support of Upgrade and hashtag AskUpgrade. The first Ask Upgrade question this week comes from Chalakan, uh, who asked, do you prefer the regular sport, Jason, or the space gray black Apple Watch? So I... um. So I got the regular sport with a green band on day one because my friend Sean had an extra, basically, and let me buy it from him. And then I ordered, the night of the ordering, a the Space Gray Sport. 
with which comes with the black sport band. Um, and that that came a couple weeks ago. So the answer is um, I kept the space gray and I sold the uh, the original green banded sport on to your compatriot Brad of the pen addict, Mike. Yeah, he finally got an Apple Watch, which I'm happy he about. He did. He has my old Apple Watch. That Apple Watch has had it's on its third owner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and he and he's liking the green band. I like the space gray. For me, I wanted a leather band, and I actually pre-ordered the uh, the leather classic buckle. And when I got that, although the lugs don't match, much to Stephen Hackett's chagrin, he hates the fact that the lugs don't match and would never be seen wearing such a thing. And I'm wearing it right now. Um, Although I don't love that the, the 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 lugs don't match the body, I wanted that black leather watch and, or watch band, and it looks better in my opinion with the uh, space gray than with the uh, the silvery sport, um, because the silvery sport's got the black the black face, and then it's got the silver body, and then you've got a black band on it, and this is why it doesn't come with a black band, and you get this really weird two tone effect where it's like dark light dark that is not that is not so great. Whereas the the black leather band and the black body and the black watch face all go together, even if there's a little bit of a stainless steel highlight there too. So, you know, I'm looking forward to maybe a third party that'll let me put a leather watch band on color matched space gray lugs. But until then, I'm 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 pretty happy with the the space gray, and and the black sport band is nice too, and I, I use that sometimes too. So the next, uh, yeah, the next question comes from Craig. Um, now that summer's coming, do you guys use any grilling or seasonal apps for summer? <laughs> grilling and seasonal apps. Well, I will say, I the thing I use the most when grilling is Siri, and now I use it on my Apple Watch, which is setting timers. So I'll go put meat on, and I'll say seven minutes, set a timer for seven minutes, and I do that a lot. So that that's my number one thing is not even an app. It's just to use Siri. I think that's the thing I use Siri for the most is setting a timer. Mike, yeah. do you have any grilling slash seasonal apps? I don't have any grilling apps. I can't think of anything that's like that I think, oh, summertime, time to use the X app, you know? I don't, yeah. I don't really think of anything like that. No, I, I uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't. I move apps away. I, I make sure the Major League Baseball app is installed, and I make sure that all of the dark sky and the related apps go away because it doesn't rain. Although it's raining today, it generally doesn't rain in the summer in uh, the Bay Area, and uh, they do play baseball in the summer. So that's that's the difference there. Um, but I don't have any. I don't have any grilling seasonal apps of of any kind. And most of my recipes that I keep on my iPad in Paprika are. Um, are baking, not uh, outdoor stuff. Next one comes from Andrew. How do you feel about the lack of a Nest app for the Apple Watch? Are we seeing a strategy tax here? I don't think so. Google's got like 50 apps, but they haven't really built a lot of uh, of, of Apple Watch apps yet. I'm sure I'm sure they'll get there, but there are so many there are so many Google apps out there. Apple Google supports the platform. I don't think this is one of those cases where Google is withholding integration with apple watch they just may be a little bit slow in my in my experience google are slow with any new ios features like it took them way longer than many apps including like apps from just single developers to update for the iphone 6 like they they were just they were languishing around for a long time with the you know with with like um 
not updated. There you go. Uh, sure. Like UI elements, they they just wait. And I I think I actually don't know if they have any um, watch apps at all. Hmm. Uh, I I think that they don't have any, and I'm wondering if they're waiting for native. It's possible. They may have said, "Look, let's just let's just wait until we can do something even more cool." But I have no doubt that they'll do them because there are, like I said, the, Derek Walter wrote that piece on Six Colors last week about being an Android user who has moved back to to iOS, and we talked about it when we were talking about about Google last week. Um, there are more than fifty, I believe, Google apps for iOS, and iOS was prominently mentioned. If you didn't watch the Google I/O keynote, Google's Google's goal is to be everywhere not just to promote Google services. So, well, everywhere except Windows Phone, <laughs> they don't care. But uh, iOS and Android, iOS was mentioned on stage many, many, many times at Google I.O. They, they, Google wants to be your pal on iOS. They do. And so I have no doubt that there will be good Google Apps integration with the watch eventually. But it may take them a little while. I think Microsoft's only got integration for PowerPoint and OneNote right now. So Microsoft's kind of ahead of the game there. Sadio in the chat um, just pointed me to Google News. It is updated. Google News updated for Apple Watch, see? So it's it has begun. And that, um, that'll, keep, that'll keep happening. Also, another piece of real-time follow-up, the Wall Street Journal is... Uh, Reporting that Microsoft that one, has Microsoft bought, bought Wonderlist, yeah. yeah, six six Wunderkinder yeah. in Berlin, which is the maker of Wonderlist. Because I know that's um, that's follow up to what we, you know we mentioned them earlier, but also in the idea of wanting to be everywhere, Microsoft is is getting that hunger. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're picking up um they're picking up features that uh, you know tools like they did with with was it Sunrise? They bought uh they bought Accompli, the which is known as Outlook. They bought Sunrise, uh, the calendar application. And now potentially they're buying Wonderlist. Uh, Wonderlist. So they are building, they are building a very compelling suite of applications. And that's and that again is being everywhere. I mean, the funny thing about Google and Microsoft is uh, the success of iOS has meant that Google and Microsoft want to be on iOS and they want to be good on iOS. And I would actually argue that they are both good on iOS. Right yeah, but now. you can be even better if you buy up really interesting companies that are doing this completely. Yeah, I mean, well, the Sunrise that that calendar keyboard thing that they yeah. that they did is just it's crazy, but it's it's really innovative and interesting. And and buying a Wonderlist. I really wish that was a separate app, though. I agree, although. The challenge is that you you know it would just be a standalone keyboard app that says you should install this as a keyboard because keyboards have to be apps. It doesn't have to be a keyboard though, like the keyboard UI. Well, that's true. It does. It could just be an app. Like it doesn't have to be a keyboard. But... Well, but the idea the idea there is that you're responding to email and you're saying when are you free and you go boop 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 and you puts it in an email and you send it. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's there's some interesting stuff going on with Google and and Microsoft. These days, and I met the I met some of the people at, at uh, Six Wunderkinder Wunderkinder Sex Wunderkinder. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's just do that in Berlin. I saw them, um, and I actually met uh, the. There is a a pro. I don't know if people know that 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 prominent person works for Wonderlist, but there's a prominent uh, uh, person in our business who who moved to Berlin, and well, I mean, so James Duncan Davidson. Um, who used to live in Portland? He's he is like uh, he's open with that. Okay, yeah. So he's working there in Berlin. So I I think the question is, are they going to stay in Berlin? Are they going to move him to Seattle? 
what's going to happen with that and what's their philosophy there. But I think it's cool. Those are that's a, a interesting group of uh, developers. Uh, that's a it's a cool development. What else do we have on Ask Upgrade? Or is it, is, have we reached the foretold Apple Watch band question? Yes, from Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel <laughs> asks, for a budget-conscious office dweller, where do you stand on wearing a color watch sport with a suit? Um, I think it's fine. I think if you're going to wear a suit day in and day out, you might want to consider the black or white straps. Oh, yeah. As well as a color so you can be, you know, plain. Um, but I like we- the colors. Did we consult with Matt Alexander? We should do that. We should see what Matt says. Yeah, we but should I, see what Matt says. Matt, I, I, I think keeping it monochrome is a is is a is a good idea. Um, and uh, like I said, I like the leather. I, having seen people, st- I, I've seen stylish people, um, dressed up people. I think the stainless model looks great. It does. But, you know, if you are budget conscious. Um, I think you can get away with it, but yeah, I think the black or white straps, that's good advice. I've that's seen them more. There. Like, I think, yeah, Matt has a stainless one. I saw him a couple of weeks, or saw him last week, and it looks really nice. I still maintain that it's not the one for me. I think it looks yeah. fantastic. It's just not what I want. It, it's not what I want either. Well, I would say, and this is to Stephen Hackett's horror again, is you could also get something, you could get a leather loop maybe, which doesn't have the lug problem, I think. Or oh, I'm going to get can, the Milanese. Like, I'm going, yeah. I'm going all in. Yeah, so I think there are options there if you wanna if you wanna dress up that watch too to make it work with a suit, um, even if it's not a perfect match, um, to make it look nicer. But you know, black sport band would be a thing you could do that would be pretty subtle. So mine came with the blue, and I've been you know keeping my eye on the store. So I know I want to get a black. I want to get a black sport band. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was in town today and I went into the Regent Street Apple Store and they had straps. Well, we call them straps here, by the way. And they're okay. actually called by Apple here. They're called straps, not bands, because that's just the yeah, it's the correct vernacular. All right. Um, and I ended up leaving the Apple Store with two, <laughs> and neither of them were black. <laughs> wow. They didn't have the black in stock there. Uh, I so bought the you... white band, the white sport band, and the green sport band. Ah. And I I'm not sure if I'm going to keep them both, uh, but I bought them both. I, I want to try them, and then maybe I'll return them, and I want to see uh- what my girlfriend says. I don't love the white one. I I kind of love the green one. When I had the green one, I, that that's a that's a fun that's a fun color. I lo- I have the blue, and having the green feels good. I think I will keep the white though. I like the way the white looks. Uh, Adina has the white. She has white with hers, mm-hmm. and it looks. Re- I think it always looks really really fresh. It's good for summer. Yeah, you can so. have a Pim's cup and and with your white white band on. I definitely strap will. white strap, Pim's cup white strap. So do you want to go for the last one from? Uh, from Jason. Jason Jason Martin. Well, Jason Martin um, was asking us about tra- international travel mm-hmm. um, because he's going to Italy and uh, they have. Uh, so, number one question is: We both have iPhone 5s on Verizon. My understanding is unlocking a Verizon phone is not necessary because they will work with foreign SIM cards out of the box. That is my understanding too. That you don't actually have to unlock them; you can just pop a foreign SIM in, and they'll work because. Verizon's technology doesn't use a SIM, and you can just pop in a SIM on the 5S, and that's the, the what they call the roaming SIM. And uh, it, it, when you're in a foreign country where you don't have Verizon's uh, frequencies, it uses the um, it uses the uh, the SIM card. Yeah, cause my simple understanding of this is the network is not locking the handset; they're locking the handset to a network. Uh, and like by network, I mean like a band type. And yeah. because Verizon is CDMA, not GSM, 
where right. practically the rest of the, basically everywhere else in the world uses GSM except like South Korea or something. Yep. Yeah, if you use CDMA, you'll be fine to use a GSM network elsewhere because Verizon have only locked you to a CDM ba- CDMA band. That's yeah, my understanding. exactly. So you should be able to do that, which is great. That's a, the great advantage of international travel with a Verizon iPhone is you can do that. And uh, then he asked best procedure of getting an Italian SIM card. I don't have an answer to this. Um, I, 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 um, he asked about pre-ordering and all that. Generally, what I've done is I've just gone in country and there are kiosks or stores where you can go in. You can do some research beforehand about what the best deals are. Maybe ask your Twitter followers, see if there's an, an Italian uh, Twitter follower who can help you out. But um, I think... Uh, I think you'll be able to uh, get something in country when you get there. And maybe even they're starting to have them in the airports, just kiosks in airports where you can go and pay some money and, uh, you know, pay a few, a few euro and get a get a SIM card and pop it in. That's what I did when I was in Heathrow is I paid 15 pounds or something and I got a, a, a three SIM. And that was great. I wanted to ask you, Mike, what's your SIM strategy? Because you're coming to WWDC. What do you do? So every single time, that I come, um, I end up buying a SIM card. This time, I am I will find a way to keep the SIM card, so I have to keep doing this every single time. So I am going to grab a... Uh, I'm going to Memphis for a couple of days, um, so I'm going to grab a T-Mobile SIM when I'm in Memphis, and that's, that's what I'll use. My iPhone is unlocked now, after I had a whole big problem with it um, a couple of months ago. It's fully unlocked. So I will be just throwing a T-Mobile SIM in. And I go with T-Mobile because they give, they're the easiest to get in and out of the store with. They give good data bundles for a decent price. And I just go with that. It works right. fine for me. I want that's someone it. that's going to let me tether. You know, I just want to be able to do everything. And I just want a ch- big chunk of data um, and just go crazy with it. And that's what I'm going to be doing this time. And I'll be keeping it for next time for sure. So I keep cool. having to buy them every year. It's frustrating. Yeah. So I'm looking, there was a company, right, that I had seen previously on the talk show called Symporium. They were a sponsor a long, long time ago, and I'm trying to use their website right now, and it's currently not loading. But I I want to just, I want to see before we close out today to see if they still exist, because it was a company that you could pre-order a, um, a SIM card, uh, and it would be like you could order it to your hotel or whatever mm, it's not looking very it's not looking good they may they may be dead i think they i think they're dead yeah i think they're dead oh well so there you go there isn't there is not a there is not a market for that so no. there, there we go no they they're, they've realized international travel is a thing and uh and uh, are figuring it out it's, it's become every time i've gone to europe it's been easier to get online and, uh, you know, it was first it was I, I had to track down a store somewhere and, and figure out the best one and all of that. And then the next one, there were stores all, all around me. And the next time I didn't even need to go to a store because it was at the baggage claim. So it's they're, they're, they know there's a market for Americans to buy SIM cards when they're traveling abroad um, and and other people from other places that don't have ro- also have onerous roaming fees. And uh, so it's a thing now. It's not a big deal. I think that's it for this week. I think so. Big show. But so next week we'll be in person again, somewhere in San Francisco at the Relay Suites. Yep. <laughs> and we will do a, a special post keynote upgrade sometime. Yep. Um, and that I'm looking forward to it. It'll be nice to have our third up, uh, in-person upgrade happen next week. Uh, such an occasion. Yep. 
So oh, you can yeah, look out for special. that on Monday, as always, next week. So we'll be first to the podcast presses, as it were, uh, with Upgrade. So you can look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to thank our sponsors again for this week's episode for helping us out. That is uh, lynda.com, Igloo, and MailRoute. If you'd like to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can find Jason's work uh, primarily at sixcolors.com, and he has links to lots of the other stuff that he does there. And you should also go and check out theincomparable.com as well for, for Jason's great cavalcade of podcasts. Um, you can find those out there for all of your pop culture desires. And Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, on Twitter. And I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Keep it locked to Relay.fm. We've got some exciting stuff coming this week, which I think that you're going to be very excited about. Um, so you should keep it checked there, because we've got some stuff that we're working on. Um, and we'll be back next week, live and in person, from San Francisco. Thank you so much for listening. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.